Good evening, Saul Company. Oh, my word. There's a lot of you here. This is so cool. <laughs> Great night, man. Great night. Thanks to the worship team and Mikey with the best announcements I've ever heard. Guys, welcome, to, welcome back. Honestly, so many of you guys, we have missed you. It's been like, man, two months? Two months? Freshman? My goodness, we've missed you guys. Uh, if you are new tonight, if this is like your first night here very, very, very special welcome to you. We have been praying for you, been praying that uh, despite, oh man, I love that. Uh, it's like a light show for me up here. Uh, like despite whatever the world, oh, gonna get a suntan now. Despite whatever the world is kind of like trying to put like, you know, restrictions on and, uh, you know, kind of saying like maybe this is uh, what you should and shouldn't do. We just pray that God would work anyway. Right? Like, as we've been kind of treading through the waters of 2020 and now into this unpredictable new year, we are just praying that whatever is going on in the world, guys, that God would still be working through his church. And so you being here is an answer to prayer because we've prayed for you. Good. Uh, if you are new here, this is going to keep going. I don't even care. I'm going to be honest. I don't care if you guys don't care. We good? Yeah. Good. We're good. Who needs it? I. Uh, you can just turn them all on if you want. I don't care. Uh, if you're new here, that's good. But another warm welcome to those who are new to the Bible. Guys, this is what we do every single week. We open up this book, this book, the Bible, the living and active word of God. We open it and we are expecting. We are expecting that when we are given God's word, we are actually given God himself. That we don't just try to read it like a textbook, right? Like just facts to, to take in and like knowledge to build us up. We don't take it in just like a roadmap trying to figure out like, well, I have a really hard decision in my life. Maybe I should go to the Bible and it'll tell me exactly what I should do in this exact situation. Or like any kind of a rule book whatsoever where we want to check off the boxes and feel good about ourselves. No, we believe that when we read the words of God, we are getting God. And that's terrifying, <laughs> especially if you've never heard the Bible described like that or you've never been to a church before. It's terrifying. But it's actually true. And it's the only reason we're here. <laughs> We're obviously not here uh, for the lights. <laughs> We're not here to hear impressive people. We're not here to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. Guys, we are here to meet God. And that's really, really terrifying. But I promise you that if we listen to what God says and we are actually attentive and we are okay with meeting him, I promise you that you will absolutely love this God. Right? We're taking a journey through the Old Testament that's the first time I've looked at that. That's sweet. You get it? It's like a journey. Yeah, it's like, that's what we're doing. We're, we're going through the Old Testament. And so even those of you who are like familiar with the word of God, with the Bible, there's a really good chance that a lot of us have never actually read the Old Testament. An even greater chance that we don't know what the heck is going on in there. It's like huge, right? There's like a ton of Old Testament, tons of laws, tons of prophecies. A lot of crazy things go down. But it is still the same God. It is still the same God. And believe it or not, it's actually still the same story, the fuller story, the complete story from cover to cover that we're going to unlock about God saving the people he loves, about God getting glory through the church in all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so we start in the Old Testament because we just want to know more of this God. I want the tone we take 
for this series to be kind of like this, like the spirit, the attitude of this series. I kind of want it like this. I was hanging out with a buddy the other day and he comes up to me and uh, he's like, hey, I got a question for you. I was like, oh, interesting, okay. I'm, real, I'm on the edge of my seat already, right? He's like, I got a question for you. He seems pretty serious. He goes, what do you think about the Jews? And I was like, huh. Uh, and I, I was looking at him and said, does he have any other follow-up questions? Uh, but that was it. And he was completely genuine. And I was like, I love the Jews. I don't know what you're talking about. I, don't, I didn't really know what to say. But then he's like, well, and he kept going on. This is what he was really asking. What in the world is going on in this book? He never read the Bible before. Somebody just bought him a Bible and he opens up and he sees all the stuff about Israel and all the stuff about Gentiles and Greeks and he doesn't know what the heck's going on. Guys, would we take the same humble posture as we come before God's word? Here's good news for all of us, especially if you are new to this whole church thing. There is no such thing as an expert in following God. No such thing. You probably come in here, you see people like raising their hands and worship. You're like, oh shoot, they must be leaders here. Oh shoot, they must be on staff. They must be experts of this whole Jesus thing. No, that's a lie straight from hell. The ground is level, friends. We are all on the same page tonight. We are all in the same desperate need to be met by this powerful, wonderful God. We are in desperate need to open this book and have it be more than a textbook for us, but to be living and active and change us. It's gonna give us life. It's going to create us to be a certain type of people that we really want to be. This, we believe, when penetrating our hearts, will make us more godly. We believe that we, when confronted with God himself, can actually become more like him. And what we're going to see tonight is that that's really, really good news. And so if you need a quick, what is the Bible about in one sentence? Here it is, guys. This is what the Bible is all about. The Bible is about an amazing God. The Bible is about an amazing God with an amazing plan. And friends, anyone can get in on it. An amazing God with an amazing plan and anyone can get in on it. This is exciting, guys. Our goal tonight is to discover or to rediscover who it is that God is trying to transform his church to be. You in your seat. Who does God want you to be? What is the purpose of your life? Tonight, as we do a flyover of this whole story from cover to cover, it won't be too long, don't worry. We want to be more like our God. And so if you guys would pull out your Bible or get on your app store and just click Bible. It's, there's so many of them. They'll all work. Or just look at the screen because we're going to put the words up there for you tonight, okay? So here we go. Let's dive in. Let's take this journey through the Old Testament and see what God would do with us. The first thing we're going to see is that the Bible is about an amazing God. The Bible is about an amazing God. God reveals himself to us through his scriptures. That's actually crazy. And you actually don't have to look further than the first page of the Bible to be introduced to this God. What are the first words of the Bible? In, oh, wow, you guys know. It's supposed to be a rhetorical question, but good job. Uh, you are experts. In the beginning, God, right? You're supposed to say God. In the beginning, God. Good job, Camden. Do you, just stop for a second and think about that. 
in the beginning, God. That actually is saying way more than just one sentence, isn't it? What that's saying, guys, is that God is eternally sufficient. In the beginning, God. He knows no beginning. Nobody created this God. Before anything was formed or created, God. Before anything visible or tangible, God. Did he need anything? Absolutely not. He existed eternally, fully, without lack, full of power and needing absolutely nothing, especially from us. In the beginning, God. And as you keep reading that first page, that Genesis 1 page of the Bible, he starts to create. In the beginning, God. He is so powerful, he can create something out of nothing. The narrative of 2020 was very, very simple. Humans, your breath has the power to kill. Right? Your breath has the power to do what? Get people sick. But guess what? This God's breath has the power to create galaxies. This God's breath is so full of power that when he speaks, things happen. There has never been a time that God has spoken and nothing has happened. There is plenty of times when I speak and nothing happens. I guarantee somebody's going to fall asleep in here tonight, especially when the lights turn off later. Like, it's going to happen. When I speak, who knows what's going to happen. When God speaks, watch out. Stuff's going down. The psalmist describes, like, the galaxies and the universe, like, like God's handiwork. He is so much bigger, so much better, so much more majestic than anything that we could ever dream of. And he needs absolutely nothing. He's eternally sufficient. And what's cool about this God that I love, that I've been like just soaking in for months now, he's also outward facing. Like as you read through the Genesis thing, you'll start to realize that this God is a Trinitarian God. Theology class coming up. Here we go. Like God is three in one. It doesn't mean we're polytheistic. The Bible is monotheistic. There is one God. Hero Israel, your God, the Lord is one but he has three persons. And what we call the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what's really, really, really interesting about this is as we even see on the front page of the Bible, God speaking, God the Father. God hovering over the chaos, bringing order from chaos, God the Spirit. The word of God spoken, God the Son. And this is like, okay, why do I need to know that? This is why you need to know it, guys. God has never been lonely in his entire existence, eternity past. God has never been in lack of power, like I said, but he's also never been in lack of relationship. He has been full of joy and love and outward facingness forever and ever and ever past. He's a community in and of himself. It blows your mind, I know. It's very confusing. But that's how he has revealed himself to us. An outward facing God. Not stagnant, but active. Not bored, but full. And what we see even on that first page of Genesis, guys, we see God's overflowing joy. 
That if he was eternally sufficient, he was powerful, he lacked absolutely nothing, he even has been in relationship with himself for all time, never knowing the slightest hint of loneliness, then why in the world did he create us? Have you ever asked that question, why are we even here? Well, we learn right away in Genesis wonderful, wonderful things about him. And it's that his creation was not to fulfill or to scratch an itch, that he needed to do something and he just got bored and one day decided, ah, maybe I'll make people. No, it was an overflow of his joy, an overflow of his love. And guys, he created us. He chose us to share in his very nature with him. It says in Genesis 1, God said, let, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, like with the very thumbprint of God the Father himself. He says that man, that we will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, the creatures that crawl on the earth. In other words, I am king over this world and I want to share my rule with you. God blessed them and God said to them, mankind, he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. From the very first page, God has given us purpose that we should not be stagnant, but we should be active. We should be a going people, just like our God, outward facing, spreading his glory to the ends of the earth, to all of his creation, our purpose in full. Look at how amazing this God is, how he made us to share in this eternal relationship with him. And I, if there's, you know, I'm sure there are, if there are atheists in here, atheists tuning in online, or if there are Jesus freaks in here who absolutely love every single thing that they hear at church and will not miss a week, no matter who you are, guys, this creation, this narrative, the beginning of this Bible, I think you actually want it. No matter what your stance is or your belief is on God, when I'm describing this type of paradise, this wholeness or this shalom, this peace, we cannot help but wonder, man, I wish that was true. You know, maybe I don't believe it yet. Maybe there's a lot of confusing things that you just said that I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, I didn't come here for theology class. Like maybe you're there, but I want it. I think everybody wants it. I think it's written in our bones. I think Hollywood says we want it. I think like you think of Wakanda, you think of Narnia, you think of the Shire, you think of every utopia, Zootopia that people have created. I've never seen that movie. I don't know what it's about. But you think of like all of these perfected places that mankind has been trying to make things. Man, there's something in my soul that says I just long for this. I just long for that. I just want things to be right again. Have you dreamed more this past year about a place like this? Have you dreamed more that maybe if there is a God, maybe he would be good like this? And he would be the answer to all my problems. We were made to be these kind of people, guys. We were made to have everything we need. In a world that tells us we need more, 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 more. Consumerism. We were made to have what we need with God as the source. In this garden with him, what more could we need? We were made to be communal. God has invited us into the greatest relationship that has ever existed. The perfect, loving, Trinitarian God has invited us in. How could we not be excited about that? How could we not be outward-facing people ourselves? 
We were made to be joyful people. Out of an overflow of his love, you happened. (laughs) Not because he needed you, but because he loves you. It's who he is. And with him as your father, right next to you, looking over you and making sure you are well-fed and happy, how could you not have a smile on your face? We were made for this. But there's a problem. Obviously, every good story has a problem. Vandalism is the problem. That this perfect shalom, this peace, this amazing overflow that is the creation that God put his fingerprint on and poured himself out on us. Adam and Eve in the garden, you've heard about it. Vandalized shalom. Took the good gifts of God and made them more about themselves. We call this sin, taking the amazing gifts of God and making us about, making them about us, not about him. That's sin. Where God has lavishly given us all things and we take it and then we say no thanks to God himself. So the story continues. Man is gone out of this paradise. Shalom is broken and vandalized. Peace no more. And begins this crazy cycle that we're going to read over and over again throughout the weeks about people trying to get back. People trying to create this utopia, this fullest life possible. They were created to, trying to do it on their own. But sin runs deep. And the virus is too poisonous. And we can't seem to do it on our own. And murder happens. Sexual immorality happens. And the world is as dark as ever. And God just says, I, 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 we're going to start over. Right? And, and he floods the place. He says, I've got to destroy the evil. But I have this remnant, this really good holy people who actually still love me and believe my words and believe that I have what's best for them that still treat me like a father like I am. And the world starts over. And it has a promising beginning. And there's God worship going on. But sin is sneaky. And the sickness is deep. And sure enough, mankind fails again and again and again. And where we pick up our story tonight, the the text that we're actually going to dive into is a story called the Tower of Babel. And here... We have a very, very interesting story that maybe some of you have heard in Sunday school. It's actually a lot more terrifying than the Sunday school version. We think like, oh, that's where people get all their languages. Sure, there's a lot more to it we're going to see. But we see some shocking things about how sinful, broken people like you and me can take such advantage of a good gift giver like this amazing God. The Bible is about an amazing God but it's also about this amazing God who has an amazing plan. Turn your Bibles, look on the screen at Genesis 11. This is the story of Babel. If it says Babylon in your Bible, it's a synonym. It comes from the same root word. Don't worry, you're still in the right place. This is what it says in Genesis 11, verse 1. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. 
They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, if they haven't gotten to do this, as one people all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not be understood, that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. In Genesis 11, we find ourselves in a city. We started the Bible in a garden and now we find ourselves in a city. Look at Babel, where God had a plan to give humans thriving, loving, adventurous relationship with him, life and life to the fullest. Look what the people of Babel traded God's plan for. Adventure traded for safety. Where God's command, his commission, if you will, to his beloved children was go, fill the entire earth, multiply, have a lot of babies, a lot of image bearers of me, and just be joyful and spread my glory to the ends of the earth. Babel sought security. They sought insulation. Because in sin, guys, isn't it true that we believe God cannot protect us? And the only logical thing to do, if this God cannot protect us, we must insulate ourselves and protect ourselves. We must preserve our life if this is all there is. If this God is not for us, and if there is definitely nothing happy after death, then we must insulate and protect ourselves. Look at this crazy word in verse 3. It said, they said to each other, come. Did you catch that? Come. Instead of like, just imagine there's people that are trying to go out like, hey, remember God's command. This is our second chance. Like we know God flooded the earth because we really messed up the first time. But this is our chance. Let's go. Let's fill the earth with his glory. Let's enjoy this God. And then somebody else maybe says, wait, wait, come. Turn inward. I got an idea. Adventure is traded for safety. We see God's glory traded for self-praise. What's also true about sin, guys, we know this, that in sin, we would rather hear our own names lifted high than the name of this God. Why did they even build this, this city? Let's build it to make a name for ourselves. Verse four. Where God's command was go and spread the fame of my name over the entire planet. They said, let us stay and build our names as tall as the heavens. Babel traded true joy for ignoring sin. Like I can't help imagine being on the building site, like the planning meeting of this tower, right? Whoever brought up the idea, I can't imagine there had to have been somebody, somebody in this, in this crowd saying, guys, I, I don't know if this is such a good idea. I don't know, like I just feel like this isn't what we're supposed to do. But you guys know what it's like. 
to speak up in a crowd, to stand for maybe what's true and right, to confront sin. Confronting sin is messy and it's gross and it gets really personal. It makes us look really, really bad. It makes other people look really, really bad. It's admitting to our own failures and the failures of people around us. So the easiest thing to do is to hide it for momentary happiness and comfortability. All the while forfeiting the true joy of living in the light, guys. In sin, we would rather appear perfect than admit our failures. Babel, look at Babel. What a case study of predictable and sad outcome when we don't fully trust our God. But I want us to be a little bit empathetic real quick with, with these builders of this tower, with the people who had this idea, right, to make it. For like in our perspective, it's pretty obvious that they missed the mark by quite a bit. Like obviously God is commanding humans, imploring humans to do something far greater with their life. Why would they settle for such a small thing? Well, guys, this is what Babel was actually aiming at. They were aimed at sufficiency, right? Taking care of themselves. That's a good thing. Pull themselves up by the bootstraps. They were aimed at community. No, no, don't leave, friends. Why would you move over there? Just stay here. Just stay in Iowa City forever, right? This is the friendship capital of the world. Why would anybody ever leave here? I'm sure they talk just like that. Stay. We have a great thing going here. And this is actually going to be something that makes us very, very happy. They were aiming at joy, sufficiency, community, joy. They were pretty close. They were pretty close at actually doing what was true and right in God's eyes. But as you know, like a boat that's compass is off by half a degree, after a while is going to be really, really, really far off track. And so Babel, even with good intentions, even with the subtlety of sin, missed the mark greatly. And it kind of makes me stop and wonder, how's our compasses doing? Like, how, how is our trajectory, church? Do we live for God's glory or do, do we live for our own? And that's kind of a, a simple question where it's really easy just to pick one. But I want us to actually think about that tonight. Do we live for God's glory or do we live for our own? How about this for a test? Later in the Bible, we hear these haunting words talking about this God and what it looks like to follow him. He must increase, but I must decrease. If I'm going to live for this God, he must increase. Like I have to make much of him. And also, I must decrease. Does that terrify you? Like if that is the new mission of your life tonight when you're leaving, you're like, man, I just love God. He must increase and also I must decrease. That's the job description of following this God. The guaranteed outcome is that God would be receiving the glory. And that kind of scares me if I'm being honest because I don't want to decrease. I want to impress you. I want to be good at what I do. I want to get glory and renown for my own name. It's in my blood. It's my sin and I hate it. But what's true is that he must increase and I must decrease. And so we see a pattern 
And we're going to see a pattern for the rest of the Old Testament that is set in motion. And I'm telling you guys, as we continue to read these stories, it is going to get exhausting. Where God sets his people out with the first gasp of freedom that they breathe, they begin to build towers and live lives that are for their own namesake and not for his. Lives of sin. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting to read. It's exhausting to live like that. But friends, there is hope. Every single week, every single day of our lives, we need to remember our hope. That no matter how many times, how many second chances, third chance, for whatever, how many times God has given you another chance, you keep failing him. There is still good news. No matter what you've done in the past, no matter how you've just tried to live for your namesake and forgotten the name of God completely, that he has meant absolutely nothing for you except for maybe a ladder to use and to climb, there is hope. God is so serious about getting his glory in his creation, guys, like he set out to do on the first page of the Bible. Like God is so serious about getting his glory that he actually came down again later in the story. He came down again, not to destroy a tower, but to be destroyed himself. Like, I love how it says it's such funny biblical irony. Like God, like they built this tower to the heavens and God came down to see it. Affirming who he is, that he is high and above everything in creation, that humans will never be able to reach him, climb a ladder or build a tower high enough to get back to their God and find shalom and peace and utopia like we were created for. But God actually had to come down. And that's really humbling. It's really humbling because that's pretty much just us right now just admitting, right now, I can't get back to my God. But it's really good news too, guys. Because God knew that. And because God came down to be destroyed on a cross. All of the rebellion and sin that we have churned, all of the sickness that we are responsible in this world, all of the helplessness that our sin has caused, all the hurt, broken relationships, and ramifications of sin, God came down and took them on himself. God came not to destroy, but to be destroyed. And the God of the universe, who breathed creation into existence, hung there on a cross, bled and died, so that your payment, my payment of sin, would be paid in full. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And something amazing happened, guys. The world was flipped on its head. Where the world's economy with God, the thinking about God was, how am I ever going to get back to this God? Our jaws drop as we read God coming to man. Our sin problem has finally been answered, guys. It's no longer waiting. It's no longer in confusion, but the plan of God is on full display. It was in humility and it was in death that he would change the world. And the good news about us tonight, guys, like, that's all really good, right? That's all really good stories. But if you couldn't get in on this tonight, it wouldn't mean a thing. If you missed the boat, if you've already missed your chance to be right with this God and to experience this utopia, this shalom, this fullness of life, then what's the point? 
But the good news tonight, guys, is that the Bible is about an amazing God with an amazing plan that anyone can get in on. Acts 2, something absolutely wild happens. I'm going to read it for you, and we're going to land the plane. But this is what happens in Acts 2. Jesus was risen. He's come to full new life, and he was ascending to heaven. But before he left to go sit on his throne, he told his people this. He said, wait, I am going to restore to you the fullest life possible. I am going to send you on a great commissioning, just like God in the garden did. I am going to send you out full of adventure, full of joy, full of outward-facing love. But wait, because Every time I have told my people to do this in the past, they have failed again and again and again. But this time, I guarantee that there will be no failure. I guarantee it. Why? Because I am going to send my spirit to you. I am going to create an organization, if you will, a living organism, a family, a church that is so full of my power that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. And so listen to this wild bit of Bible as the disciples were sitting there waiting for this promised power that God said. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house that they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, God himself, and began to speak in different tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there are Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a great crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, and then a bunch of people like, man, you can hear our own language. It's amazing. You're from there. You're from there. But I hear all these languages. And then in verse 12, they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. He knows the morning. Guys, this is a reverse of the Babel narrative. Do you see it? It's a reverse of the Babel narrative where people gathered together to insulate themselves out of the dangerous calling that God had put in their life, this is reigniting the adventure. Go, don't you stop. Full life lies ahead. This is a gathering together, only to be sent out, not for their own glory, but for the glory of God, to fulfill our purpose as image bearers. Here it is. Wait till you see what I do with my power in you. Full joy. Have you been sad, disciples? Are you sad and anxious waiting for Jesus? Do you miss him? Well, guess what? I'm not just standing with you in flesh. I'm not just standing with you as a man. I am in every single one of you with my spirit, and I am ready to get to work. Look at the pattern reversed. And now, friends, it's time to spread the invitation far and wide, isn't it? If this is a tale of two buildings tonight, like a contrast in two places, Babel and Pentecost, who are we? What more defines us, Salt Company? 
Are we people who just want to insulate ourselves, to be inward facing, to get our groups of friends and then just shut off the rest of the world, to sit by the same people every week, to not be friendly, to not have awkward conversations, to not share the gospel, but just receive the good gift of God and call it quits? Are we a people who are afraid of the danger that this adventurous calling is, is going to take us on? Or are we like the disciples leaving this house at Pentecost? Invigorated with adventure, full of joy and purpose and assurance that what Jesus said is true. He will surely be with us even to the end of the age. But even more pressing, guys, not just who do you think we are, but what do you actually want? Who do you actually want to be as you leave here tonight? Because the truth is, you can have either one of these things. You can be like somebody building a Tower of Babel. You can be living for your own glory and your own name. You can. Or you can be living for the glory of God. But you can't have both. So tonight, guys, the, inv the invitation is on the table for us to potentially lay down our small dreams, our small goals for our life, our small aim at making ourselves look great for the sake of something far better, the invitation tonight, guys, as we dive into the living and acting word of God, is not about following a rule book and building towards God. The invitation is about following Jesus, who came furiously toward you in your sin. The invitation tonight is to step out for God, but also don't miss this, with God. That you are being sent out tonight on an adventure, a rescue mission for sinners, not just for God, being like employees, but with God, like a child. This is what the Bible is all about. This Bible is about an amazing God with an amazing plan. And friends, anyone, including you right now, can get in on it. Guys, would we reset our compass toward him tonight and bring us to himself? Would he bring us to himself what a joy that would be. Would God tear down any monuments we are building to be great? And would God build up his church instead? His church that is powerfully connected to the source, our powerful God. His church that is outward facing and warm love towards one another and towards this campus. His church that is overflowing with joy, inviting everyone who wants to get in on this. Let me pray for us right now as we are sent out just like the, the, uh, the apostles in Acts 2. God, um, honestly, Lord, it's really hard sometimes to admit our failures. It's really hard to admit just how normal we are and how inarticulate we are how average we are, how unpowerful we are. But when I'm confronted with this God, I don't feel shame. I feel grace. Like, I, like even just reading these stories over and over again this week, like, I just don't feel shame even though I keep falling short, God, because you're a God who meets us with grace over and over and over again. And so, Lord, would the fuel of Salt Company in Iowa City the thing that not just binds us together 
and saves our souls, but also like sends us out, would that be grace? Would that be our fuel? That we're not performing for you, but we're just like living with you. God, in my sin, I'm such an inward focused, cold, insulating person. But man, when your spirit gets inside of us, God, we become outward facing. We become warm. We become adventurous and dangerous people that not even the gates of hell will overcome. And so Lord, it's gonna take a lot more than a fancy production for this campus to be changed. It's gonna take a lot more than our skills and our charisma to change lives, to change cultures. God, it's gonna take a supernatural power from your Holy Spirit. And so God, we're expecting right now. Would you come? Would you just save us? Would you save us and send us? Would you wake up sleepy Christians? Would you open our hands, realize that we have nothing in them except for you and be more than ecstatic about that? We love you, God. Would our worship reflect that, Lord?